Question for tonight. Is. How do I regain someone's trust when I've previously broken it? That's a, a very good question. Um, we're going to look at some, some foundational truths as we answer this question because this is a difficult question to, to ask and it's a difficult question to answer and it will be one that inevitably you will face in your life. Okay? Whether you're on the receiving end or the giving end of that. Um, on the foundational side of things, as God's children, we're called to be trustworthy, right? We know that. Proverbs 3.29, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Right? The people in your life, that they, they, they're in your life because, they, they, at least to some extent, they trust that you don't hurt them, kill them, or whatever, use a animal bomb or murder net on them. <laughs> All right. So we're supposed to be trustworthy. We're supposed to live, to get, live together in harmony. Proverbs 11.13 says, Whoever do- goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Right? Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, let, w- let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. In other words, you know, be honest. When you say yes, mean yes. When you say no, mean no. Uh, be trustworthy. Be dependable. That's a foundational truth. That's the first one. Okay? The second foundational truth on the other end of the spectrum is this. No one is perfectly trustworthy. That shouldn't be a shocker. <laughs> on cue. Everyone with a shock sound. I love it. And that's why Psalm 118.8 says, It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. The only trustworthy one who's perfectly trustworthy is God. While, while, while we as people can, can be generally trustworthy, we all know that no one's perfectly that way. That, 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 that we break trust um, in one way or another uh, to some degree or another at some point in our lives. And when you combine these two truths together, that we're called to be trustworthy, we live around other people and we're called to be trustworthy, and no one's perfectly that way, what do you get? You get messy relationships. Not trustworthy person. We're called to be trustworthy, but we're sinners, right? So there inevitably be times when trust is broken. And the question we're asking tonight is this. At that point when trust is broken, is it too late? Have you ruined that relationship forever? And the beautiful answer is no, not necessarily. It's possible to regain trust when you've broken it. The beautiful thing about the gospel is that it gives hope for those who have failed. Right? The gospel doesn't call for perfection. It calls for repentance. And if you have broken someone's trust, there is a path forward for us. And it's God's grace that's available for you to go down that path. Um, have you ever heard of trust described in terms of a bank account before? Nope. Yes. Anyone ever heard that? Depositing trust, withdrawing trust, building a trust bank account. It's a, it's a fairly common illustration to describe trust. In a relationship, trust is built over time with consistency and care. And building trust is like depositing money in an, an account. And breaking trust is like withdrawing money. So here we have Alberta's first national bank of trust. I said Alberta because we have an Alberta now. All right? Okay. So Alberta's there. And along comes, after, one second. Where's Alberto? Don't worry, he's coming. There he is. All right. 
There's Alberto. All right. He wants to strike up a friendship with Alberta. Um, <laughs> all right. So if you want to build trust with somebody, right, then, then character and consistency in that character over time builds trust. Right. You prove yourself to be honest, dependable. Um, you care for that person. And, and over time, right, as you as you build trust, it's like putting money in the bank. You're putting trust in the bank. Right. Blah, 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 blah. All right. So Alberto is, is being a really good guy. He's being really trustworthy. And, and now he's built up a lot of trust with Alberta. OK, now. Let's say that Alberta's sel- or Alberto is selfish or forgets something he shouldn't or goes behind Alberta's back and gossips and slanders about her. What happens then, right? Well, it's kind of like you lose, some, uh, you lose some trust. You make a withdrawal out of that. But if it's something small, but you've built a lot of trust, right? You have a really strong relationship. If something small comes along to break that trust, right? If it's not that big of a thing, since you've built so much trust, the relationship isn't broken, right? It's easier to overlook that. Does that make sense? Like if you have a really close friend and maybe they do something that's selfish, because you're so close and you have great trust built between you two, it's tougher to completely empty out that bank account, right? Unless maybe even if it's a close friend, if it's a really bad offense, if it's something just horrible and you just wipe out all the trust that you've built up. Is that possible? That's definitely possible. Right? You, could, you, could, you could have a, a friendship, a relationship that lasts years and years and years and years and years, and then one action, serious enough, breaks all that. They say that it's, it's much easier to break trust than it is to build it. It's much quicker to break trust than it is to build it. Okay? And, and this is a, this is a common, common illustration when it comes to trust. And, and sometimes if you break that trust, then that person might come a little distrusting, right? All right. And, uh, and, and maybe she won't allow you to make any more trust deposits, right? You're not going to allow you to, to try to build trust anymore because she doesn't trust you anymore. And so she, she closes off that relationship. She says, bye, Alberto. I'm, I'm done with you. I don't want you in my life anymore. I know. Don't worry, guys. There's still hope for Alberto. That's what we're learning about tonight. All right. Because we're humans, we fail. We say dumb things sometimes. We act selfishly sometimes. We don't treat others the way we would be treated. Trust is broken and relationships are hurt. And then what? What do we do then? Right? So if you're, if you're thinking tonight, man, yeah, there's a relationship that, that, that if I'm honest, I am in the wrong. I've broken trust. And what was once a great friendship or a relationship or, or, or maybe a family relationship is, is now just fractured. There's no trust there anymore. What do I do? The Bible has answers for that. And I'm just going to look at four points, four steps um, to, 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 uh, to take if this has happened. And the first and probably the most important part, if you've broken trust with somebody maybe because of selfishness or sin on your part, most important thing you can do is humbly confess your failure. It's most important, probably the most difficult. You know, repentance just, just doesn't happen just once or twice in the Christian life, like you just repent at salvation and then you're done. The Christian life is actually a life of repentance. It, repentance is our way of life. Step one in seeking to restore a relationship is to humbly confess Matthew 5, 
verse 23-24. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and, and they remember that your brother has something against you, okay? So, so, so there's trust broken there. There's something between the two of you. What do you do? You're, you're worshiping. You, you leave your gift there, and you go, and you be reconciled to your brother. And then you come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying, reconciliation and repentance is of utmost importance. Even taking precedence, like, okay, you're, you're worshiping God. And, and, and God says, okay, if there's, if there's repentance for reconciliation, these take place. Stop what you're doing. You can come back to me later. You can worship me later. Go and reconcile, and then we'll talk. James five sixteen. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. So if you've broken someone's trust, that means there's something that you need to confess to them. But do you know what we do instead of confession? You know what we think is the solution? Like when I've broken someone's trust, and I'm thinking, okay, how do I mend this? How do I build this trust back up? Usually confession is not the first thing. There's something else on my mind that I think is step one. You know what that is? What's that? It's your fault. It's your fault? Okay, shifting the blame, yeah? Any other thoughts? What, what, what do we normally do if, we, if there's trust broken and we're trying to fix things? What do we do? Usually we try to explain why we did it. Yes. Instead of confessing, we prefer explaining, right? Now, we know I've done something wrong. I, I've broken trust. But, but if I can just explain things, then they'll just be all better. And they should be fine after that. Right? If, if only I can explain what I really meant. If they would only understand what I was going through in the moment. Yeah, I said hateful words. Yeah, I slandered that, my friend behind their back. But man, I was just going through a tough time. And if I just explained that I was going through a tough time, then they'll just ignore the fact that I sinned against them and we'll, we'll be all good, right? Or if they just understand that it's my own forgetfulness. I, I forget things a lot, right? Man, I just forget. Yeah, I just forgot. And we seek to explain and explain and explain instead of just humbly confessing. Just going to that person and saying, I was wrong. You know, I'm not saying that there's never a place to clear the air. That there's never a place to explain things when explanation is needed. But in the case of, of broken trust, explaining yourself shouldn't be step one or step two or step three. Nothing really will happen if you don't first humbly confess your failure. Man, this is, this is hard. This is difficult because we're proud. And, and we like to kind of weasel our way out of responsibility. But if, 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 we, if we look to what Christ calls us to, to be humble, to, 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 um, to live graciously with others and, 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 to, and to reject pride in our lives, then we need to take this seriously. I want to look at these two words, humbly confess. And let's break this down. What does this mean to humbly confess, okay? First, let's look at that word humbly. Humbly. What does it mean when I say humbly confess? This means don't use your, your confession as a cloak for defensiveness. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Have you ever heard a confession that sounds like this? I'm sorry that you took it that way. (laughs) Or, I'm sorry you were offended by that. 
What are we doing there? We're defending ourselves. And, and in that situation, where does the problem lie? Me or the other person? The other person, right? Because I'm saying, it's not what I said wasn't necessarily the problem. The problem was that you took it the wrong way. Or you were offended, and secretly I don't think you should have been offended by that, but I'm sorry that you were. So you're, yeah, I'm confessing. I'm confessing. I'm saying sorry, but you're not really. You're not humbly confessing. You're actually using it as a cloak for defensiveness. Humbly also means this. Don't use your confession as a tool to get a confession. Okay? I'm sorry. You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm not the only guilty party here, right? And they better say sorry for what they did, too. So I'm confessing so that they'll confess. So we, we come, we say, man, I'm so sorry for what I did. And then we sit back and we wait. And then, if, it's not, if it doesn't happen, well, then it's on them now. So don't use your confession as a tool to get a confession. And humbly confessing also means don't use your confession as a way to gain the upper hand. You know, I'm doing the right thing. So if they respond poorly to my confession, now it's me that has something against them, and I can hold it over them. So you, you break trust. You withdraw all of that trust that's been stored up. You've, you've sinned against that person, and so you confess, and you say, will you forgive me? I'm really sorry. And, and when you confess, you realize that they're, they're kind of hesitant. They're not, they're not so sure about that, and, and they're not eagerly offering you forgiveness. And so, and so you, you think, oh, man, okay, well, now, now it's their fault, right? Now, now they're the ones that have the problem. I said sorry, and so now I can kind of hold that over him. I have the upper hand now. And now what do you have? You just have two offended people, neither of whom are willing to budge. Okay, that's not humble. It's maybe a, a type of confession, but it's definitely not a humble confession. Confess humbly without any cloak of defensiveness or a tool to get a confession or a way to gain the upper hand. But then let's talk about what do we mean by confess. Okay, two things here. First of all, make it a specific confession. In other words, don't say this. If I did something to hurt you, I'm sorry. Because what are you doing there? You're saying, well, I, I don't I don't know if I maybe, but if I actually did, then yeah, I guess I'm, I'm sorry that that hurt you, right? If I did something to hurt you, that, you know, that's not specific. That's leaving it really general so that you can kind of uh, not face the, the, face the music, so to speak, of your actions. And then confession, I think, also means making, making it a genuine one. In other words, include not just the action, what you did, Include also the reason why it was wrong. Not just, I'm sorry for what I said, but maybe it's something like this. You know, what I said was really selfish of me. I was caught up in what I wanted, and I was ignoring you in the process. And I'm really sorry about that. You see the difference between those two? I said this, that was wrong for me to say, I'm sorry. And I said this, this is why it was wrong for me. This is what I was thinking. This is why I was acting this way. And that's, that's, that was selfish of me. And, and, I, and I'm confessing that to you. Is that hard to do? Yeah. Because 
even when you've broken someone's trust, there's, there's always at least some fault in that other person. Because we're all sinners. And sometimes what keeps us from humbly confessing is the knowledge that there's some fault in them too. And, and I need to kind of hold on to my cards a little bit. Instead of just kind of um, giving up all the power and humbly confessing. Um, because I'm giving too much power to them. If we really trust in God, we're going to do what God calls us to do, regardless of how someone else responds. And so humbly confess. Have you broken someone's trust? Then you have some confessing to do. Don't explain. Don't defend yourself. Don't shift the blame to them. Just humbly, specifically, genuinely confess your failure. You know, maybe it goes like this. You know, you, you, you go to that person that you've offended, you've, you've broken their trust, and say, hey, can I talk to you about something? Last week, when I, when I gossiped about you, that was an incredibly hurtful thing for me to do. I wasn't showing love to you. I was trying to get attention for myself. You got hurt in the process. And, and I'm just realizing how selfish that is. And I broke your trust. Will you forgive me? Right? Something like that. And then everything is magically okay, right? No. no. <laughs> Actually, usually not. Humble confessing is only the first step. And here's the second step. Humbly accept their hesitation. Humbly accept their hesitation. Look at what Proverbs 18, 19 says. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. And quarreling is like the bars of a castle. The word for offended refers to someone who has broken off a relationship with someone else. Breaking ties, right? This is an offended brother. In other words, someone with whom you've had a close relationship with, but now something has happened to fracture or even break that relationship. And this proverb tells us a really harsh reality. When trust is lost, it's very difficult to win back that trust. It's like, it's like an army trying to break down the walls of a strong city. If you've done someone to, something to betray the trust of a friend, you should expect a difficult path ahead, mending that relationship. Now, sometimes you humbly confess and, 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 and that person that you've offended is graciously just forgives you and says, all is well, right? Grace of God. And we can rejoice when that happens. But just know that doesn't always happen. And you shouldn't expect it to always happen. It's a difficult path ahead, it's, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible, but it's not easy. Um, they might accept your apology, but are still hesitant in tr- about trusting you as they did before. So they could forgive you. Say, I forgive you, but I'm just letting you know that I, I, it's going to be really hard for me to trust you as fully as I did before, given, given the nature of the offense, right? Are you okay with that? Or you just want magic things to magically go back to normal. They might be hurt, deeply hurt and have a difficult time even accepting your apology. Or, worst case scenario, they might be angry and refuse to even hear your apology. They're more unyielding than a strong city. All those three are possibilities in this situation. Does that mean that humbly confessing is not the right response for you? No. It's always the right response. Doesn't matter how they respond. And if you humbly confess, whether they accept but are hesitant, they're deeply hurt and they need time, or they're really angry and they just reject your apology, humbly accept it. See clearly that regaining trust after it has been broken is really, really hard. 
And sometimes a genuine, humble confession goes a really long way. But sometimes, maybe even most times, even then, people won't automatically trust you again. Why is that? Because trust is built. It's not granted. You don't automatically trust someone. You trust someone over time where they've proved themselves to be trustworthy. You can see it as an equation like this. Trust comes from character plus consistency. You have character, you, you, you show love and care to them, and then that's, that's repeated over time. And over time, trust is built. And that's the path ahead for you now. If you've broken trust and you've humbly confessed, no matter how they respond, now it's consistency time. Character over, in, plus consistency. So step three, we've seen, so step one, humbly confess. Step two, humbly accept their hesitation. Number three, humbly pursue trustworthiness. Um, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This is a longer passage, so I want us to kind of to, to look at this, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, repentance involves more than just confessing. Repentance, in the very nature of it, is a day of it. It's you're changing direction. There's something different about how you're conducting yourself, um, proved by your actions. In Second Corinthians seven, the church there in Corinth had there's the relationship between them and Paul had been hurt. They'd sinned against him, and uh, and Paul decides to write a letter to them, confronting them, saying, "Hey, you're in the wrong here. You need to, you need to get this right." And Paul was a little worried about how that was going to go, and then he finds out that they respond really well to the confrontation. Um, look in uh, 2 Corinthians 7, um, let's start in verse 8. All right? 2 Corinthians 7, 8. He says this, again, he's talking about after he wrote this confrontational letter to the Corinthians because of this fracture in their relationship. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I, I do not repent, I'm not sorry for it, Though I did repent, I was kind of sorry for it. I, was, I felt bad after I sent it. Uh, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though, now it, though it were for a season, but now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that you had a sorrow to repentance. Right? For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. And this says, godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world works death. And then, and then following that says, what, what zeal this produced in you? What clearing of yourselves? What judgment? What vindication? All these things. The path forward of them after, they, after they, they were sorry over their sin, they, it led to this intentional growth. You can read those in the following verses. Worldly sorrow produces an inward self-pity that results in destruction, he says. But godly sorrow produces humble repentance leading to intentional growth. And then look down in verse 11. So he's seen this evidence as they are humbly pursuing trustworthiness, humbly pursuing godly sorrow and repentance. Verse 11 says this, After all this is said and done, at every point you have proved yourselves innocent in this matter. In other words, Paul looked at their genuine repentance and the fruit it produced, and he said, as far as I'm concerned, you're good. You've changed. And the once fractured relationship had been restored. And look down in verse 16. Where Paul says, I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Sounds like restored trust, doesn't it? And what, how did that take place? The people who, who broke that trust 
repented, they confessed, and then they humbly pursued trustworthiness. You may be thinking, well, you know, what if no matter how hard I try, that person refuses to ever change their perception of me? Because that'll happen too. Like, like you're, you've changed, you've, you've repented, you've asked God for grace, and you're trying really hard, but they just still see you as that person who broke their trust. What if they hold this over me for the rest of my life? Well, a couple things I'll say to that. Um, first of all, that very well might happen. <laughs> it's possible. Relationships are a two-way street. And whether it's because the hurt was really serious or because the offended person is dealing with a lot themselves, you'll quickly realize that you can't control the actions of others. Nor should you. You're humbly, con- you're humbly confessing and pursuing trustworthiness because that's what honors Jesus. Even if that relationship is destroyed, you can still honor Christ with your response and learn from your failure. You grow in your walk with Jesus so that while they might be, there, there might be a broken relationship behind you, you're more equipped to maintain the relationships ahead of you. You know, you can talk to older folks in our congregation. I'm sure they can tell you scars and broken relationships that were never mended. But they learned from it and they pursued trustworthiness. Maybe in some cases they tried to mend those relationships and sometimes it, trust was restored, but sometimes it wasn't. But either way, as they pursued and grew through it, they were better equipped for the new relationships ahead of them. So it's always worth it to pursue consistent character. Even if the person who, trusts, who once trusted you is, is done with you forever. Why? Well, what's the alternative? <laughs> what's the alternative? If, if, they don't, if they don't trust you again, you just, you just give up and, and you say, well, I'm, I'm never going to seek to be trustworthy ever again. I'm not going to have a, a relationship ever again. No, we can't, we can't handle things that way. We pursue Christ. We pursue his character. We pursue his grace. And we repent. Repentance is a way of life for the Christian. And all along the way, as, as we, uh, sorry, this is what we all said. You don't have to write this down. Um, finally, humbly pray for restoration. Humbly pray for restoration. I'm not going to sit here and make you a guarantee that if you follow these steps, it's going to fix the relationship that's been broken. I, I will say this is probably your best bet at restoring that relationship. Um, your best chance. Um, and, and while you're doing it, you can, you can humbly pray for that relationship to be mended. I want to look at the, the, the story, the relationship of Paul and a guy named Mark in the Bible, a young guy in ministry. You know, you know Paul, right? He went on missionary journeys and all this stuff. We read a story in Acts chapter 15 of, of, Paul, of Paul and Barnabas um, going on a missionary journey, and then, and then Barnabas wants to bring a guy named Mark along with him. Mark had been someone, someone who's been, been, you know, uh, he's been a disciple, he's been, he's been serving Christ, but something happened that, that made Paul really not trust this guy. Look at Acts 15, verse 38 through 40. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, he's talking about Mark there, and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. And, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. So, so, so it sounds like something happened in Pamphylia where Mark broke trust with Paul. And said, you know, no, I'm not going. I'm, I'm withdrawing. I'm going back. And Paul saw that, and you're like, you know what? I don't trust that guy anymore. 
I really don't trust him to bring along with me. I need a, I need a reliable partner in the ministry. I need, I need someone I can count on to go forward in this missionary journey. I'm not taking Mark. Right? So, so there was this, there's this break of trust, so much so that Paul and Barnabas get into it. Barnabas is like, no, I want to bring him with me, and you know, let's give him a second chance. Paul's like, no, man, I'm, I'm, I'm done with that guy. I don't, I don't trust him. Okay? There's a break in trust there. Mark was someone who seemingly betrayed that trust to the point where Paul refused to go with him on his journeys. But when all was said and done, Paul's trust in Mark was restored. 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote before his death. And look what it says at the end of his letter, 2 Timothy chapter 6, or sorry, chapter 4, verse 11. He says this as he's talking to Timothy. Luke alone is with me. And get Mark. Bring him with you. For he's very useful for me. Useful to me in ministry. The one who was once untrustworthy for ministry was now very useful to him in ministry. And we don't know what Mark's life was like between Paul and Barnab- but between the Paul and Barnabas face-off in 2 Timothy 4 verse 11. But it had to have been the case that between then and between back then and at this point, that Paul saw Mark's life um, as a life of faithfulness. That 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 Christ took him and grew him and changed him and worked through him, and that character plus consistency over time, Paul saw Mark is useful to me for ministry. Mark kept his head down, stayed faithful to Christ and others, and restoration occurred in this situation. Trust was restored. As you pursue trustworthiness, it's okay to pray that God would restore the relationship that's been broken. But in all this, I want to give you guys a very um, realistic expectation for these things. You can pray for it. You can confess. You can humbly accept their hesitation. You can humbly pursue trustworthiness in your life but you can't control the responses of other people. Don't try to. Don't seek to force them to fix the relationship. Do what God has called you to do. Show love to them. Humbly serve them. Humbly confess. And and maybe over time, you, you build that trust back up. God's working in that other person too. Let God work in them. And no matter what happens in this relationship, whether it's restored or it's broken forever, you know what the path for obe- of obedience is for you. You know what God wants you to do. And, 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 and God allows all things into your life for your good and his glory. If, if, there's a, if there's broken trust in a relationship, know that God has brought you through to this point for a reason, and he has a purpose for this, and he wants you to become more like Christ through this. Romans 8, 28 through 30 says that's his plan. That's why, that's why he, he allows suffering into our lives so that we can become more like Christ. So keep that your focus. Humbly confess. Humbly accept. Humbly pursue. And humbly pray. And, and, and leave the rest up to God. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us guidance in your word. Thank you that despite our failings, in the gospel, we have hope. Um, 
Lord, I'm sure every single one of us can point to at least one relationship in our life where we've done something stupid or sinful that has hurt that relationship. Lord, if there's something in someone's mind here tonight that they're thinking of, maybe they're thinking of a person, and they realize, yikes, uh, there's some confession that needs to happen. Lord, I pray that, I mean, before they do anything else, they go straight to that person and they would humbly confess their wrong. Not being defensive, not being manipulative, but humbly confess. And Lord, I pray that you would work through them using your word, using your grace to build them up, to grow them through this so that they might grow in Christ-likeness. And Lord, if there's relationships that, that need to be restored, we pray you would restore those. But we trust you and leave the results up to you, knowing that you've called us to obedience and we've called us to trust you in the results. In your sons, and we pray. Amen.